to the Serious TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and saddling up to ride with me for this trip, the Doc Holiday to my Wyatt Earp, he's everybody's Huckleberry, and he's Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, Scott. Good to be back. How are you? Uh, I, I could be better. I could be a whole lot better. <laughs> or, I wish your name was Bob. What is it? Not great, Bob. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not great, great. Bob. <laughs> um, it's funny, when I was trying to think of an intro, and it's been a while, and the first one I wrote down, because I wrote down, you know, saddling up to ride, and I wrote, I did a Butch Sundance thing, and then I said, that seems, I feel like I've done that. And when I was going through uh, one of my drawers the other day, I actually found, I still have three sheets of paper, which on one side, you see, it was all typed out in different colors for different sections. I still call it the Lost SVD, STVD Podcast. The recommendations for TV shows from the 80s and 90s, the podcast that never happened. The one that me and Dan recorded. I didn't like the recording of it. We got into a bit of a tiff. <laughs> and then we didn't record again for like, I don't know, six weeks or something. And we never, and it never got released and we never <laughs> re recorded it. So it's never, it's still, I might just re, I might just do it myself one day or maybe I'll get him again or maybe one, you, know, you or Jamie, I might get, anyway. No, don't do that. Just wait, and in 20 years, turn all that over to Peter Jackson. Let him make a documentary. Oh, yeah, there you go. It'll be beautiful. So, but on the flip side, I think when, it also shows you how, well, again, how old this was, it was when I was, I wrote notes, like, you know, by, you know, by hand, um, hence writing, um, <laughs> and I think it was for, I was preparing for podcast number 100. By the way, this is podcast number 365. Again, tells you how long ago this was. And and I I think I, I talked about it on that podcast, and I was apparently so maniacal that I went back and I checked the opening of every podcast from, like, number 13 through number, I guess, nine, right up to 99. Because I think it was with episode 13, I started doing the, the this to my that kind of intro i didn't do it for the first dozen podcasts for some reason i did it on the 13th one and i did like three on that one the very first thing i used of those of the of the of the, of the three was a butch to my sundance so it's kind of funny i wrote that i was like that's i was like oh yeah it's the very first one i ever did <laughs> <laughs> so i was like well i don't i like the western theme even though it has nothing to do with anything we'll be talking about tonight but i'm sticking with it and then i went Oh yeah, even though I don't, I, even though I think Tombstone's overrated, I'm gonna go Doc Holiday. Why don't? That's right. I just upset all the listeners. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. It's just not as good as you people seem to think it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it has been, as you were made reference to, it has been over two months since our last STVD podcast, and maybe a couple of you might be wondering why so long. That's what she said. So there's a few reasons why. Um, Number one, as I hope, hopefully many of you know, and if you didn't, you're going to find out now. I did launch a new podcast, which I actually shared on the STVD page, um, the Scott Forgot the 80s podcast. Basically, we've been doing one a month. I think that's the way it's going to go for like the next year. Probably going to remain on a once a month schedule. Maybe occasionally do two, but it's probably just going to be once a month. Brian, you actually took on the thankless job of propping me up with pseudo questions and that little 16 minute prelude to a podcast that was recorded back in early October. Um, I do believe you will actually join me for a real deal. Scott forgot the eighties podcast at some point next year, maybe one, maybe two, we shall see. 
Um, so that's been going very well, and I've actually stuck to my rules. Screw you, guys. You thought it couldn't be done. Yes, I can do a podcast. It's actually an hour. Not This one apparently won't be. I'd love to say that's the reason why there hasn't been an STVD one, but that's not. I've just essentially, I've had some health issues that have made recording podcasts at times rather difficult for me. Um, I've had these back issues that directly impact my right leg and foot, either in a painful or just a plain, extremely uncomfortable way. I, I like As I'm sitting here now, I'm waiting for it to happen. I just basically grit my teeth and get through it. It has not happened as of yet. But it is a major obstacle. Um, I just haven't been up for it. And then even last week, I had to get rushed to the ER, or I, or I rushed myself, or my friends rushed me to an ER for an entirely different reason. Um, you know, I, I might have herniated discs in the back, but apparently now I got a good old hernia in the front. So let me put it this way. I now understand why people often wish for good health above all else, because it's something you really shouldn't take for granted, you know, because all these little uh, pains and aches and things when you're even right now, I'm kind of as I'm bending over, I'm feeling, oh, that hernia issue might, it might explode on me. You should not take your health for granted, everybody. No. And, and as a fellow traveler in the half century club, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I stepped off a curb the wrong way and somehow experienced excruciating pain in my back mm. to which then, you know, several of my older friends and I talked about when you're young, you can run through a brick wall and when you're old, you can sleep at a 28 degree angle and somehow that ruins you for three days. So yeah, I, mean, I understand the, the pain of growing old and the things that, that happened to us. So yeah, there's there's the part of me that doesn't want to fall into the oh you get, means you're getting old thing, but you know what? A lot of this does have to do with getting old. You know when they were looking when when they did the MRIs and everything, you know the desiccation of discs and you know that's something that's happened over time. It, that wouldn't have happened when I was in my twenties. I had to build up over time to where you know there this one's bulging this way, this one's bulging that way. These roots are being cut up this way and that way. Like ah, whatever. Anyway, but you know what, Scott? Yes. At least we're not dealing with medicine in 1899. <laughs> That's not even the first show. Shut the fuck up. Anyway, <laughs> I can get us back on track. Come on, I'm a I'm a pro. I'll get us back on track. I can save any additional nonsense and anecdotes for the end of the podcast. That's when the hour will be so late and the rambling is not so great. That's when we do that. I know I derail the choo-choo train here, so we are here as you sort of alluded to there. We are here to touch upon and even delve into not one, not two, but three, count them three Netflix series. I recall someone, I think it was some, let's just say it was some rando on Facebook, or maybe it was another podcaster, I don't know, who was seriously knocking Netflix for not having all that much content one cares about compared to some of the other streamers. And I feel that's about as delusional and wrong as the wave of Snyder bots were on social media now, you know, burning James Gunn in effigy. That's right. I even got a comment in about that. Look at that. No, we are going to be discussing three Netflix series. They all were released in November, which means we really should have recorded this <laughs> the week of Thanksgiving, <laughs> not, 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 not Christmas, but oh well. The three will be the latest season of The Crown, the latest series from the minds of the maniacs behind Dark, the aforementioned 1899, and the most recent release focusing on the most series-worthy member of the Adams family, Wednesday. 
And as almost always, we will not be avoiding spoilers. So I advise listeners to skip any series discussion for something. If it's something you plan to watch in the near future, but you haven't seen it already, that is why... That is actually the only reason I bother to break down the segments that you should see on whatever podcast platform you are listening to us from. So, um, let's get to it. Let's employ our own recency bias. And in honor of the day that we uh, were supposed to record this, but we are actually recording it on Thursday, we will start off with Wednesday. That's right. Yeah, see what I did there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who needs uh, fancy, fancy sound effects? I was going to whistle. I decided not to. Wednesday. Wednesday. A first season of eight episodes that were released on November 23rd. The series was created by Alfred Goff and Miles Millar, who have mostly worked together throughout their respective careers, and probably their most notable accomplishments are that they also wrote and created the AMC series Into the Badlands, and... Well, they were actually the duo behind the series Smallville. And yeah, you can say what you want about that series, both good and bad. I can match you on both. But you, you know what? They got 217 episodes of that series made, which I suspect is a series with the second most episodes on in the history of the CW, right after Supernatural, which has well over 300 episodes. Now, Brian, since I know you just finished this one, which means you finished it a heck of a lot more recently than I did, plus I'm going to give my flapping jaw a rest, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about this hump day of a series and a few of your thoughts about it as well. Um, it was a unique take on a sliver of the Adams family, yet somehow wonderfully incorporated the entire uh, Adams family, or I, I, most of the Adams family. Um, but really had a star-making performance by Jen Ortega as the the titular character and a wonderful supporting cast. Uh, I think you and I have talked before. We worry about shows that have a lot of young adult or young actors and with a school setting, sort of a Hogwarts for um, evil kids uh, or you know, a monstrous kid, shall we say, uh, a wonderful cast, uh, an interesting story that veered back and forth in a lot of ways, but, uh, really had some big surprises. And I think the thing I would start with, uh, if I had to, if we exempt Wednesday's character because her deadpan delivery just stays delightful throughout the show. Um, my, my surprising uh, second uh, most valuable player of this was Thing. To see Thing get a real starring role as Wednesday's right-hand man, if you will, to that touch, uh, was, was delightful to develop Thing in a way um, that, that really brought a lot of emotion a lot of uh, humor. Um, it, it, so I, I found it to just, I found it really, really a breath of fresh air. Uh, it, it's funny to see something be so happy and make me happy that's so dark. And it did have its darkness and it went there. It didn't avoid that. It didn't um, avoid making hard, dark choices at times. But I really, really enjoyed it. 
I enjoyed the use of the Adams family characters when they used them. They didn't rely on them to prop this up. I mean, this was going to stand and fall on what happened at the school at Nevermore Academy. Uh, Gwendolyn Christie uh, makes a great performance as sort of the headmaster of the school. Um, there's the town they go into. There's sort of the, you know, school kids against the townies. There was a lot going on in this show. Um, but it, a wonderful performance, I thought. I forget the, the actor, and I know his name, the uh, the sheriff. Uh, Jamie McShane. Yes, Jamie McShane uh, makes a, a really good performance as the, the sheriff of the town. But, uh, you know, a really, really... Uh, I will say this. I went into it with good expectations, knowing it was the work of Tim Burton, and he cared a lot about it and put a lot into it. Um, not maybe as quirky as Tim Burton is. Uh, I think maybe he slightly suppressed some of his more quirky urges to make it more mainstream. Maybe not. I don't know. But really, really found it enjoyable. Love Jen Ortega. And I have a big shout out to the dance scene, not because everybody is thrilled that Jen did her own choreography, but to use the cramps. I mean, big ups to the uh, soundtrack. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed this, Scott, and, uh, and thought it was uh, something I'd like to see more of. I'm pretty much right there with you. Um, I, 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 I do want to... While I, I think Tim Burton does deserve credit for, you know, the fact that he directed the first half of the season, um, I'm going to give the major credit more to Goff and Millar because they're the people who wrote and created the damn thing. And the fact that they thought to hire Tim Burton at all was kind of like, well, that's genius. Because it's one of those things where you almost forgot, hey, guess what? Tim Burton didn't direct the Adams Family movies. They, they were not Tim Burton movies. They were Barry, I believe they're Barry Sonnenfeld movies. But the whole Charles Adams drawing thing is very, and that styling is very, it, it's right in sync with Tim Burton's own artistic style. And even when you go back to his work as an animator and his his concepts he he did throughout his uh, early, especially throughout his earlier career. Um, to so rewinding back to the beginning, just for my just. Um, just for the seri overall series, um, obviously, the, the first thing a lot of people have been mentioning, I noticed, and, and you did as well, um, the, the Harry Potter Hogwartsian nature of it. And it's kind of hard to avoid that. And absolutely. Um, I What I liked about it, I, I liked that it had at least a little bit of the original Adams Family movie vibes. But it definitely it channels up several other series. You definitely feel the DNA of a chilling adventures of Sabrina throughout this series. You do get, you may even get a little smidge of a series of unfortunate events in this series. And of course, the Harry Potter thing. It's a show. It's a series. I should say. I always forget. Should I say show or series? I say both. Um, it definitely has a very clear young adult appeal, but it doesn't do it. It doesn't make you feel too age demographic targeted. It doesn't make moldy oldies like us feel like we're creepers watching it. Um, you've mentioned the cast. Fine. And obviously, this whole operation hinges on Jenny Ortega. And 
you know, I know she was in the, the last Scream movie and, I, and something else she's done, but this is like this is like a star-making performance and nothing more so than that dance sequence, which the only thing I don't like about that dance sequence is that the some yahoos on TikTok decided to speed up, you know, an old Lady Gaga song and that's gotten more mileage, you know, on Spotify and what and sales than the the, the cramp song. And it's like it's not even one tenth as good as the cramp song. The cramp is amazing. It's oh, anyway. I love. I'm I'm a big. I don't know a lot of cramp songs. I seem. I feel like I know all these weird random ones. But the very first, you know, stab I took at a at writing a full length feature length script has a cramp song. You know, I wrote it into the script. Like you're not supposed to write songs into your script. I did. You know, because you know, um, human fly. I mean, is is there, is is there a better song? There isn't. Okay. Um, the cast, you already mentioned everybody. I love, thank you for mentioning, uh, the Jamie McShane who played the sheriff in it. Um, I like, because he, he usually plays characters that you automatically don't care for. You know, we remember him from things like Bloodline and, um, Sons of Anarchy. I think he was on that as well. You know, he's not like the good, he's not like the, the good, the good guy so much. He may get screwed over. <laughs> he might be hapless, but he's not a great guy. Um, there's several other people in the cast. I mean, I think everyone does a decent job. There's a few standouts. I mean, I think Jenny Ortega obviously go, he goes without saying. Um, and I also think the actress who played um, Bianca Barclay kind of stands out. Joy Sunday. Um, I would like to say I was shocked to realize that she was 27 years old. And then I realized, hey, you know what? Guess what? They're all over 20. The only one who might not have been was Jenny Ortega herself when she was filming, although right now she has passed the, the 20 age, 20 year mark. Um, however, cause I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to give this show a complete pass. I have to be a little, be a little critiquey here for me. It's got to get back into this. Um, I did have a, I didn't mind the casting when I heard about it, as far as casting Catherine Zeta Jones and Luis Guzman as, as Gomez. I had no problem with that casting when I heard about it. I figured, okay, Catherine Zeta-Jones looks the part, and I remember her doing, you know, pretty de- pretty decent work in, in several movies over the years. I haven't seen her in a movie in a long time, but whatever, or a TV show for that matter. And Luis Guzman, always have enjoyed Luis Guzman. And for anyone who's like, oh, but he's not Raul Julia, like, well, no, they're going more like the original Adams Family um uh, illustrations where he's he's not that dapper looking but you know but, but he he doesn't he he sees himself that way so he oozes that kind of confidence so it doesn't matter if this, he's a bit more gnomish looking or whatever and my problem with their two performances and it's really more her than him i didn't mind him my only problem is the one thing that either your Raul Julia or your John Aston, that those two have in common, because there's a lot they don't have in common, is they have this effusive charm that really just kind of grab, you know, whatever. They're it's it's a it's a slick, funny charm, and I don't think Guzman quite channels that very well. But I'll forgive it because it's it, he's I like the fact he's definitely playing against type, definitely against what we've seen him play before. So I want to give him all the credit in the world. My bigger issue was with Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia, and I understand they want to distinguish between her and Wednesday, and why Wednesday is having these issues, the mother-daughter issues, and trying to separate herself from her, whatever. I get that. 
but you don't you should not be doing that at by taking away from what the Morticia character has always been because I never got a Morticia feel from her because here's the thing yes Wednesday is super dark you know she definitely the darkest member of the Adams family to a certain extent but Morticia is not rainbows and unicorns she, you know she's not, she's not like her roommate you know on um on his roommate on the show there's a certain rather sultry darkness about her and I never really got that from Catherine Zeta Jones's performance. And again, it didn't, it certainly didn't ruin the show. They weren't on it that much for it to even impact it very much. That'd be like me complaining how we, we got practically no lurch. It's like, okay, he, but it wasn't about that. It's not an Adams family show. It's a Wednesday show. But because she played kind of a more of a key part, you know, the whole mother daughter thing, it, it just, it bothered me. And I don't like, I, I hate to compare it to, say, another actress's performance, but. If you go back and watch either of those two Adams family movies and you see what Angelica Houston did, and you're like, oh, that's Morticia. And I kept going, this is Morticia Light? <laughs> you know, it, it just, there didn't seem to be enough to it for me. That, so it bothered me. Um, again, it bothered me very little. This, I love the show overall. Thing, as you said, steals every scene without question. The only other issue I had, and again, when I even say issue, I mean that in a kind of a... I'm shrugging my shoulders since this isn't a video cast. So everyone knows what I'm doing right now. Um, for me, I felt it was a bit predictable for the most part. I felt you knew from the very get-go, oh, you hired Christina Ricci? Okay, that's not just stunt casting because she used to be Wednesday. And when you see her part in those for early episodes, you're like, oh, she's clearly got to be, like, turned out to be the nemesis because you didn't hire her to be, you know, this this goofy teacher here. There has to be more to it. And, of course, yes, she does turn out to be, you know, the, the major nemesis of the whole thing. I I can't believe there's anyone who's watching a show who wasn't expecting that to be the case. I mean, how they got there, yes, there's, that could be there could be variations on that. But at the end of the day, I was like, okay, that, that's pretty much where, where I thought we were going to go with that. Um. That, I mean, that's really the only, those are the only, like, negative things I would say at all. Everything else, I really enjoyed immensely. Um, again, from the perform, from most of the performances, because, you know, obviously I just mentioned a few I didn't like. Um, I loved, hey, Fred Armisen did a really nice job as Fester, which actually, I was a little surprised by that. Because I'm not, I'm not always the biggest Armisen fan, but I was like, oh no, he did an excellent, he did an excellent job there. Um, I even like the kid who we know from your honor, um, as the Tyler, the, and then that was like, wait, is it going to be him or the other one? Like, okay, everything's pointing to the other one. So it's going to be him. <laughs> you know? Right. But I thought he's actually liked him more on this than much more than I like him on your honor, which his character doesn't make any sense, but that's another show for another podcast. But yeah, I really enjoyed it a lot and I am really uh, and they have, I believe they have confirmed in the last week or so that they are going to do a second season because nowadays with Netflix, you never know. I mean, the only thing more unreliable than Netflix probably is HBO Max at this point. But, um, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. I'm curious to see where they go. Although the only other comment I want to make, I'm, and I'm, I'm ripping off somebody. I don't know who made it, who made the comment. I don't know if I saw it on Facebook or on Twitter or if it was an actual professional critic or whatever. I'll say this. You'd think the the student body of a place that's basically based on Edgar Allan Poe, Nevermore Academy, you'd think they'd be a whole lot 
more not darker there. <laughs> you know, it's like Wednesday seems to be the only goth girl who's like really channeling a, a darkness, and pretty much no one else is. It's like you're going to a you're going to a school based all around Edgar Allan Poe. How do you? So, but that's I just how how do you not notice that? Um, but oh. I think there were there were a lot of there were a lot of neat callbacks to the Adams family. Um, I love that the way to get into the club was you snap twice uh, when deciphering the Poe thing. I, you know, at one point somebody says, you know, I guess it's an Adams family reunion. Um, you know, there are multiple yep. callbacks to the Adams uh, family stuff that that I thought were really that those can be done very ham fisted, and I thought this show did them either in a really clever or really cute way. And cute not being a pejorative. Absolutely. I, I, it was every time I, I noticed one, I was like, going, "Oh, that's nice." I mean, the, the snapping thing was genius, you know. Or you know, I might be debasing the word genius, but I thought it was like, it was like, oh, that's really great. I don't remember which character it is. I, it might have been, might have been the Tyler character. I know at one point someone says, "You rang." <laughs> And I'm yeah. like going, yeah, because it rings. I think, and I'm like, oh, that's an Adams family thing, you know, like the car, the my 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 second or third favorite character all the time on Adams family, which we, we don't get any of. Maybe maybe in season two, maybe maybe he'll speak. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe didn't want to pay him because he's just a glorified extra in makeup. I don't know. Alrighty, so now let's move on to a series. That, as of yet, as far as I know, does not have confirmation for a second season. But fans can keep their fingers crossed. We will have our heads put into another spinning centrifuge of pure what the what? Which is really my overlong way of oddly introducing the next series. So join us as we podcast party like it's 1899. <laughs> I hate myself. Anyway, that was an, it's an eight, eight overpacked episode season that was released on November 17th. You know, I looked at the pronunciation. I'm going to forget. It was brought to us by writer, writers and creators Baranbo Odar and Yanshe Frische. That one I actually wrote down phonetically so I wouldn't screw it up. <laughs> so it is it's Yanshe Frische. Frische. This is not how the name is spelled. Anyway, they are the mad geniuses who are behind the series Dark that melted all of our brains on this podcast a couple years back. Now... I've been asked a number of times over the past month, hey, this show, what is 1899 about? You know, this is when people aren't confusing it with one of those Yellowstone prequel series, 1883, <laughs> which kept, which would happen whenever I would bring it up first. It's like, hey, has anyone watched 1899? Like, oh, yeah, no, it doesn't have Kevin Costner. It's like, no, 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 not, 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 the, not the Western thing, you idiots. Um, and don't confuse it with 1923, which is coming up. Anyway. No, 1899, if there's one thing 1899 is most definitely not, it is not a Western. (laughs) So the the quick logline way I I would describe the show to people was, look, it's about a ship carrying various immigrants to America, and it changes course, which means it changes course of all their lives, when it encounters an ocean liner that had mysteriously disappeared months earlier. And then you just leave it at that. Because genre-wise, and just one of the things I think is really impressive about this series... It's something that starts out as a mystery. Ooh, I'm watching a mystery series. Ooh, and then it kind of morphs into like a good old-fashioned ghost story. 
Oh, okay. Oh, I'm into that. Ooh, haunted shit, whatever. But then it, and all of a sudden you realize it's drifting beyond the supernatural. And then it gets into this whole time and space bending insanity of science fiction. So <laughs> it goes from one to the other to the other. There may be a few other things you can find. Hey, and with all the languages, it's a foreign film, too. <laughs> and a sprinkle of the Kane Mutiny. <laughs> well, you got not just Kane Mutiny, also disaster movies. Yeah. Because think of, I thought about that when you have all these different... Um, couplings of people who are all from different walks of life. It's like, yeah, it's the Poseidon adventure, or, you know, or those kind of things. Um, and since I did mention the language thing, uh, one thing I need to mention here, uh, something I noted, I was barely 10 minutes into the very first episode. So let me say it here, then I'm going to toss this hot potato series over to you. You can split it open and butter it up any way you want. See how you went with the potato thing there? Anyway. It's been a while since I did an STVD podcast. I get to have all the fun now. So these guys, when they put out Dark, or rather when Dark premiered on Netflix back in 2017, one thing all viewers had to decide was, do I watch in the original German language and read the English subtitles? Or do I be a little lazier about it and just watch the dub version? I actually suspect many went the dub route. Um, maybe something about the harshness of the German language and sitting through that after, hour after hour felt like a bit much. I can understand that. I can't say. I bet some people even the, ha- the same thing happened when people were watching Squid Game, you know, a year or two ago. But Dark, which is a thousand times harder to follow than Squid Game, <laughs> or pretty much any other series of the last decade, because you have to try to focus on so many details and so many versions, so many different characters. Eh, watching it uh, might have made it a little made it a little easier, and I'll confess, I think I did it on our podcast a few years back, which probably and irritated Dan to no end. I don't remember unless he was sleeping. Don't know. Um, <laughs> I went back and forth watching the original German and the dub version, depending on what time of night I was watching it. Now I have little doubt that the two dudes behind Dark were well aware of this phenomenon, which probably happened everywhere outside of places like Germany or Austria or Belgium or I don't know. Liechtenstein and Luxembourg or Switzerland, I don't know. People uh, everywhere else, they were wrestling with this issue. Dubbed or not dubbed, dubbed or not dubbed. So what do these two guys do? They don't double down. They don't triple down. They don't quadruple down. You know what? I'm not even going to say it. Does anyone... Or, well, I'm talking to Brian, so I'll talk... <laughs> Brian, do you have any idea how many languages technically are actually spoken in this series? I'll let you guess, and if you get it, I'll, I'll let you know if you get it. Well, I'm just really I, I don't know, but if I was a Vegas line maker, I would put the over-under at seven. Seven might have been what my guess would have been. We would both lose. Ten. There are ten different languages spoken in this series. And I, I, I wrote them all down. So, German, English, Spanish, Portuguese, French, Polish. Danish, Norwegian, Cantonese, and Japanese. And in fact, if they hadn't been out at sea, maybe someone could have ordered a pizza, then maybe we would have gotten some Italian in there as well. (laughs) Now, the reason why I think this is important to, to point out, or fun to point out, or interesting to point out, think about the script rewriting and translating. Think about the number of translators that might need to be involved on set to work with a number of these actors. Think about the complications of directing these actors when you can only, you can either A, either hope and assume they are delivering the right lines, or maybe you've had to learn the phonetic translations so you would know if they botched a line in the first place. 
the, the having to direct this series just sounds as bonkers as like the penultimate episode of Dark was, <laughs> which which I recall being you know just frenzied and insane more so even than the final episode, which was crazy too. But the idea of doing all that and you didn't have to do that, but then you realize you know what? There's a reason why. Not you weren't just screwing with the audience and being funny. It's actually really important for the show itself, for the series itself, and and people's ability or inability to communicate with each other. I think is is a running thing throughout the entire series, and I, I just I marvel at the idea of doing it. And once because I was noticing in that scene when it's when they're in the uh, is it the state room? I guess you'd call it. I don't know what the right word is. Where, where everyone's seated, or whatever, and you realize we're going from table to table, and and you realize oh. I was like, oh, Spanish or Portuguese or oh, French. Oh, it's like, oh, I see what they're doing. When we when we got to the table that we realized they're speaking about, you know, can- Cantonese and Japanese, I'm like, all right, all right, you smart asses. <laughs> you know? All right. So, Brian, I'm guessing, though, you don't have 99 problems. 1899 ain't one of them. So I'm going to let you steer the ship. Oh, <laughs> um, This journey into mystery and beyond. Oh, look at that. He even got a conflict reference. Go on. I, I think that... Um... You and I and people we know were very excited for this based upon Dark and what we uh, encountered in Dark and couldn't wait. And and just to say there was some odd synchronicity and that this dropped on my birthday. Uh, so it was a nice birthday present to get to start to watch this on my birthday. Um, and uh, it it had so many different elements. And I think these creators have shown an ability to go from the most, you know, uh, mind blowing aspects of quantum physics to just the basic human emotion, um, that, that it really touched that setting it on a cruise ship with many of these people being immigrants or people running from something, heading towards a new life, people that couldn't go back, that there were people who, if the ship turned around, were headed back to something they they were running from. Um, It was a very timely story to talk about, you know, the commonalities of survival and what it takes in the world for people to work together to survive and, and what people can do if they put their minds together. And we even see the splintering of people amongst fear and prejudice. And I will say out of the gate, I mean, episode maybe two or three, like this show, these, these guys have balls cause they, you know, that, that they pull a lost and kill a kid. Um, and you don't see that very often. Even these days, it's still a little jarring <clears throat> to see, uh, a kid get it. And, and early in that sort of, we're having the murder on the Orient express. There's a dead passenger. Everybody's a suspect. Who could it be? Um, in, in particular in this show, uh, before we start recording, I said, you know, I like the captain. He has a very Jurgen Prochnow feel to me. I could have seen if this was made back when we were, you know, in the eighties, he probably would have been the captain of this ship. Um, and we like him, but we start to wonder if his dogged fascination with the other ship is good or bad. Uh, we, we often move in and out of the like and distrust of characters we see, um, which is something in dark that, that was very common that, 
the at any given time who you like or who you would ally yourself with if you were on that ship would change uh, because some people uh, change in profound ways. Some people change in very disturbing ways. Um, but th there's a lot of backstory and filling in to give, I mean, gosh, if we think about it, and this, you know, just like languages, I would say there are probably at least 12 characters that we get a lot of, a lot of their backstory so that, you know, even if they do something we might not like, we at least understand it, which I find, uh, you know, is often lacking in, in, in ensemble pieces. Um, so I, I, and of course we get the mystery box issue of it all. What's going on. We have, um, the interesting devices and how does the boy end up in the, um, you know, end up locked in the, underneath the bar in the stateroom. Who is the boy? Why does he not talk? What is the pyramid he has? Uh, and I will say the one thing I, I find funny about uh, both of these shows is that, and I hope this continues because I just enjoy it. There's always a deliciously evil old white dude that's, that, that's like doing terrible, terrible things behind the scenes. Um, and, at, even uh, even at the point that a lot of other shows would go off the rails uh, with stuff like this, you give these guys the benefit of the doubt, and uh, um, it, it really delivers. And I hope it gets another season because I think, much like Lost, the final you know reveal that there have been a bunch of these ships and they're all in a ship graveyard at the end is fascinating. And to see if there's a way back, what does that mean, um, is a very, very compelling story. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. I found it uh, had a lot of elements of things I like, and I was not disappointed by it. I, I, I don't. It, it's not as complex as Dark in some ways, but in other ways it is. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed it. So I, it's great that you mentioned Lost a few times because um, sometimes I, I, I'm leery of ever referencing Lost on this podcast, and that's maybe because between the two of us and mutual, um, you would say friends, I would probably say acquaintances, um, <laughs> over the last decade and a half, whatever, um, I feel maybe – the oh, oh, too many lost references for, for everything kind of waters it down for me a bit. Um, but this series, um, it's absolutely appropriate. They, um, they do something in the series and it's been acknowledged that they are, um, call it lifting, call it inspired by, call it modeling themselves after, however however you wish to phrase it. They are doing a lost thing in every single episode, whereas each episode is in some way focused on a specific character. And so that we have that little opening with each character where someone opens their eyes and you hear Maura Franklin's voice saying, telling them to wake up. And then we realize 
even if obviously we'll get other things going on in the episode as well, but that character is probably going to be at some going to be like the spine of that episode, the folk, the backstory, et cetera. We're going to, that is where we're going to find out about whether it be the boy or this one or that one, whatever. And that's, they, that's been acknowledged that that's, that, that's a lost thing that they're doing. I'm not going to go down the, oh, and it's eyes opening, just like Jack's eyes open on the aisle. I'm like, oh, shut up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I probably would say um, it's not quite as insanely complicated as Dark was. There are certainly layers of mystery to be had here, but at a certain point, um, it doesn't feel like I don't feel like I need to have a bulletin board with and use like a, a couple miles worth of yarn to connect things for a series like this as much as I did for for dark, which right. is not and it, that is and no that is not a criticism. It's just it's more of an acknowledgement that dark was insane. <laughs> I don't know if we'll see the likes of that again. I don't think we. I don't even think we should see the likes of that again. Um, this show, I mean, in a lot of ways, this show has to try to separate itself from that because you can't help but think of Dark because there are certain, it does have a certain feel, you know, because he's the same people behind it. You have at least one major actor who is in Dark who's also, you know, the guy playing the captain. We know him from Dark to begin with. The fact that I think in Dark, um, when they're traveling through time, how are they doing it? They're, they're pretty much squeezing themselves and, and, crawling down little tunnels and which are like portals through time. What do we see them doing in this show is they're screwing themselves through these little tunnels, you know, in the ship, which would come out to portals in different, you know, alternate dimensions or whatever, however you want to look at it. Um, so they're kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're I'm not going to, I'm not going to say they're going to the same well exactly, but they're definitely tapping it, <laughs> you know, especially as you pointed out when you realize the, at a certain point where the supposed main antagonist is, <laughs> Is another old white guy, whatever. Except, hey, here's an actor we actually write. He's he's an actually an English speaking actor. Hey, we know that dude from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I I really overall I enjoyed it. Uh, abs- I mean, absolutely. It, it it wasn't as much of quite the level of head scratcher that Dark was, but it still kind of made me. At least for the first half, first three quarters of the season, I was definitely kind of like trying to figure stuff out and what was going on and being like, oh, wow, there's there's, there's another ship. No, it's not there. Well, where would the ship go? Well, now I love the the haunting vision of just everyone just just walking off the ship. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Big I mean, time. I kept telling myself there are ways you could there are things you can do to avert this, and I was like, no, 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 no. it's a be- it's just it's a nice image. I just, I just love people in their state in their rooms, and you see like people go, you know going out the window, and then and then not even paying attention to it at a certain point. Um, you know what? I don't want, I hate it being when it comes to me that I'm going to start throwing out anything negative. I have a little, nah, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you what I didn't love about it. You know what I didn't love about the sh- the series? It, it's a nitpick. It's a nitpick. I'm telling you right now, it's a nitpick. So don't don't take it too seriously. I did, for the most part, I did not love the use of a modern or classic rock song towards the end of every episode. I think there were a couple times it worked. I think other times I just I found it really distracting. Um, you know, I liked when they used the original White Rabbit 
at the end of the first episode because, oh, I felt it bookended the opening credits, which is like uh, an, an updated version of the same song. But good Lord, I did not need to hear All Along the Watchtower yet again. One of the most overused songs in the history of music, quite frankly. And they're like, oh, wait, hold my beer. Now we're going to use Don't Fear the Reaper at the end of another episode. And it's like, going, oh, my God, oh, my God. Did Zack Snyder come up with the with the soundtrack with this? Is this Watchmen or something? You're using, like, the most obvious ones. But so you had, like, the overused obvious tracks, which I could have done without. But what was wor- what was absolutely actually worse than that for me when they would use a song that just it just didn't work for the montage or the scenes, or whatever. And I'm just like, what are you doing? It's when they use that Cat Stevens song. It 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 just did for me. It just did not work with the images I was looking at, and I was like, I, this. It felt to me like it was a cute gimmick that didn't work quite as, in my opinion, at least. It didn't work quite as well as I thought it was going to, or maybe it just wasn't as clever as they felt it was going to be. I don't know. This is not the only series that's guilty of that, by the way. It's one of those things, it's a choice that a, a series will make. It's great when it works. It seems dumb as hell. And hell is not the word I wanted to use, but I'm, I think I haven't cursed yet, so I'm trying not to. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if it's about the tone or whatever the series, if it feels right or feels off. Look, you do that on a show like Peacemaker, it feels right. When you do it at the end of a show like, I don't know, Handmaid's Tale, it feels kind of off-putting. And by the way, they did, they did. I'm pretty, I'm 99% sure I saw that on at least a couple episodes of Handmaid's Tale. It's the peaky, I call it the peaky blinders dilemma. Cause that's a series where it either works cause they do it all the time or sometimes, uh, I could, you know what? I could, I could, you could have just done some nice plinky piano instead of using, you know, you know, another, I don't know, Jack White thing that didn't really fit. I don't know, not Jack White, but you know what I mean. I, I I get it, and I think there's been a move to sort of do that since Peaky Blinders. Like, let, let's let's not worry about the context of the time. Let's yeah. find the song. Oh, but I, but I think I think I don't think the problem, and I don't think you're saying this, but I don't think the problem was modern songs. I think it was the choice of perhaps two widely known modern songs that didn't that didn't fit with what was going on. Like, I, I think, um, you know, I think the leftovers did a great job of sometimes using like songs, well, popular songs, but they would be like sort of really stripped down weird covers of those songs mm-hmm. by other people. So that it was something you're familiar with, but heard in a new way that fit the mood of the right. the episode. I, I, I just felt it didn't, for me, at least, it it did not enhance the series for me. It took away from it. And there's one I haven't mentioned yet. I have a reason why I haven't mentioned it yet. Because it's part of the other thing, the only other really negative thing I'm going to say about the series. Because people want to hear me say be negative, I think. More than I think. Well, I, I, I'll say the thing I probably like the best about the series. So I, I will be the sugar... Um, <laughs> for your medicine um the 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 great thing about the construct of this being on a on a ship instead of say on an island or somewhere else is that in a lot of stories we break people up into groups and we separate them and then they have to find their way back together and we you know mix the characters up in an interesting way um and you can do that 
and not have to, you know, pull a Game of Thrones. They traveled half the continent in like one day, like stretch the stretch the credulity of the viewer that you can split people up because they're on a ship. They're not that far apart. And uh, and you can make that as long or as short as you want it to be. Because, you know, if with enough attention, unless there's a major obstacle, you can find other people on the ship if you're really looking for them. Or you can go off on a side adventure and it not and it be an episode, but it doesn't have to be like half a season. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. so. So I think this being on a ship, I think, gave a flexibility to the ability to swap characters in and out of situations and relationships with each other that I found refreshing um, and, and really enjoyed in a way that sometimes that sort of break them up and have the hero's journey back to each other is sometimes tiresome. And, and I really like that part of the show. Right. That's interesting because it's, it's in, in a lot of ways, um, because of all that, all, all these little groupings of characters and for the most part, they're, they're, they're pairs, um, with, 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 with a couple exceptions, like, you know, um, like Oleg is the Polish guy and there's not, it's not like there's two Polish people or something like that. But a lot of the murders, at least two, in some cases, there's, there's multiple, like the family from down below where you've got, you know, the, the, the pregnant woman, Tove or, or Crestor and, and their, their fanatical mom and the, their preacher father and all that stuff. You know, it's, and I think they're all, um, I think they're Danish, I think. Um, but the, my, what I'm, the point I'm trying to get to is um, because of their, for the most part, although that we have a handful of characters who can actually speak multiple languages, like the captain, he can actually speak at least a couple languages. For the most part, you have the inability for them to communicate with each other. So when you do put them with each other, there's the, I always love the conceit of whether they're ever really understanding what the other person is saying or they're just they're get from just what is happening. They can um, there's the implication they 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 understand without without understanding, so to speak. Uh, it, it's a it's a fast because I, I find that a, a fascinating conceit of the entire series because it's a, means that you constantly have people talking at each other and you realize that they aren't they don't understand each other and that makes the challenge of acting very interesting because of a lot of act. Act, acting is also reacting and and listening and when you're when you're when most of the when you're interacting with people that you are not going to be understanding that changes um how you address that scene like i said that's what one of the things i marvel about the series is that they did all that because that you add a lot of layers of just the complication of making this is what impresses me more than almost anything else about it quite frankly i mean i do like a lot of other things but that just it, it's it's audacious, and that's the another thing it shares with Dark. Dark was freaking audacious. This show is audacious, like the thing like murdering a kid, which I believe murdering of children was kind of at the at the core of Dark, at some points in Dark as well. Right. Um. So I kind of you know a little salute to that because when that happens, I, I actually gasped. I went because <gasps> I I thought that little girl was going to be like a constant throughout the series. I really I mean she was one of the ones I I I liked right off the bat. Like. Oh, you're going to start killing the ones I like? Cool. Anyway. <laughs> so, there is something else about... There's a few other things I want to mention. Um, this is not negative. I haven't, I haven't gotten, I'm getting there. The, big, the biggest risk of this series, and it's going to be up to people whether they think they, they pulled it off or not. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it... I, I'm going to say 
They mostly pulled it off. I'm okay with it. If I was in a different mood, maybe I wouldn't have liked it. The risk of what they do is when you have a major reveal that seems to, in some, in many ways, negate everything that you've just watched. I call it the, this was all a dream scenario. Or in this, in the case of this series, it was all a simulation scenario. Especially when that reveal comes fairly late in the series, because it seems to have, re- it seems to remove the stakes of the, of the danger and crises that we've been watching all this. And it kind of, it, so there's, there's a tendency one can feel like, oh, did I just get cheated a little bit here? Now, I'm not saying that's how I felt. I don't feel that way. I was fascinated by it because it was like, okay, in some weird ways, this kind of, ex- this make some things now make a little bit more sense to me. I mean, do I really understand what Mrs. Wilson's doing on that ship to begin with? Is she, is she some evil madam? I don't know what her story is. Eh, you just told me I don't need to care. Okay, I'm okay with not caring because I care about other characters a lot more than her. And plus, she's she's turning into ash or something anyway. Um, but it's a, it again. I used the word audacious a few moments ago. That's a very audacious thing to do. I kind of think they get away with it because that's when we've shifted from horror to science fiction. And it's like, okay, it's a, it's science fiction now. All right, I'm I'm willing to go along with it now. However, the ending. And I don't mean the sh- I don't mean all the ships there. I loved when all the ships were there when you realize how many times they've gone through this exercise over and over. That's to me, that's one of the pure Twilight Zone feelings moments in the entire series. And so I, I, I adored that. But one can say the ending is also another type of a Twilight Zone ending, but it's the type that kind of makes me go, mm. because here's the thing I have to confess. It reminded me of something else. It reminded me of my least liked finale of any series ever made. And I don't, so obviously I'm not talking about Dexter or Roseanne or How I Met Your Mother. It took me back to the dopely done Americanized version of Life on Mars, where they decided that the story was not actually ever taking place in either present day or in the 1970s, but aboard a spacecraft. Because, haha, <laughs> Life on Mars. The fact that they also use a David Bowie song here <laughs> said Life on Mars, which really may would have enraged me. It was Starman. Love the song. It made me wonder, are they kind of winking at us now? Are they going are they deliberately going for that same idea? Now, I'm saying that I'm acknowledging that it it the ending did not bother me here because we had already been shown pieces all these different pieces of future tech and all this other bits of strangeness it established that throughout at a certain point throughout the entire series so it wasn't like this sudden out of nowhere kind of thing as far as i was concerned but i can't say it didn't pop into my head and maybe taint it a little bit because the if i'm watching a show i'm watching a series and i'm watching the last few minutes of it the last place I want my head to go is to, as I just said, my least favorite finale of all time. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I was like, I don't know if they did this on purpose. I watched the making of thing. I don't know if they mentioned that or not because I was kind of falling asleep. But <laughs> I remember that ending and it being particularly jarring um, of, of Life on Mars. So, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. But I, I want to ask you a, a question about the show itself, because it's one of the one of the great things about dark in this show is a lot of times we watch stuff and 
we have questions and we want to go to message boards and stuff, but you can watch a show like dark or a show like this and you'll want to Google things to like, try to educate yourself like about dark. You, you know, there, there are concepts about time travel and places and things. And, and you'll actually be like, huh, you know, I want to look up this thing about quantum mechanics or whatever and, and see what it says. Did you do, or did you try to determine why they, picked 1899 uh i i didn't specifically look for the anything for that for the actual year that they chose so if you if you, if you actually have an answer to that I, the, the thing is i don't have an answer I, I i searched it and i found i mean there were there were major world events that happened that like the there were uh, i think things involving the spanish uh, american civil war um, the, the Boer War um, in South Africa and things like that going on in the world. But I couldn't find anything I could peg directly to the show. And I was I was just curious why they chose 18. Uh, the only, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do guesswork here. There is something to the idea of using a year that's on the precipice of the, the, the turn of a century. And because we're so familiar, and, and I, I think there's again, I don't want to, I don't want to keep going to the, oh, they're winking at us kind of thing. Up until you know, I mean, we're all we're in 2022 now, so it doesn't matter. But you know, our, our entire childhoods and young adult, whatever, that year was always 1999. You know, hence the Prince song and everything else. Because that that was that we know we're at 1999, and that's that's when everything changes right after that because we, we we turn the clock. Unless you believe the millennium starts in 2001, that's another Gregorian calendar bullshit thing. We don't want to get into that right now. Um, so I, I, I kind of think that it's funny that they picked 1899 because technically I think one of the is the one must really be, be nitpicky in a way that I'm not going to be because, you know, because you're above that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of ships that they had in this and then in, in the size of those. Did not exist yet in 1899. The first ship of that that was of that size that they use in this didn't come about till 1907. I did I did see that fact when I, when I was doing some research on something else. I'm like, oh, that kind of makes sense to me because I kept thinking, oh, I don't know if it was quite that big. I mean, and also, I mean, obviously the ships are kind of based sort of around certain other ones. You know, the Mauritania, I think the Andrea Doria, whatever, right? Um, whatever. But again, I don't. I, I've not read anything more specific about choosing 1899, so all I can say, I you know, well, my, just my be happy theory, to pick 1893. So, my theory about that is um, that by going to 1899, if you extrapolate 123 years, there's a good chance that no person alive in the present would have been alive then. That you're setting it at a time outside of the knowledge yeah. of any person in the present. You know, occasionally there are those people that live 100 years, 105 years, whatever, who remember, you know, World War One, whatever for our generation. But, you know, the best I could extrapolate was that, that it set at a time where no one alive now would have any knowledge of the history of then. And, and I don't mean like so that nobody could discount what was being said, but just to set it at a historical time that's completely outside of any modern perspective. Hmm. Or it could just be some of this, like the idea of it being, you know, what, 
one, two, three, 123. Right. You know, they're just being cute. They don't give us a year where the when we see the end of the spacecraft. They don't. Did they throw a year on the screen? I don't. I don't, I don't remember. I don't think I, so. I didn't write it down, so I'm assuming they. Well, I didn't write anything down really. Um. Anyway, we'll see. Hopefully, um, I I would like to see where they'll go with a second season. Um, I mean, since you left off with them in a spacecraft, I'm assuming we've got to pick back up there. So these guys are going to do like uh, more of a a space a space show. That's kind of interesting but maybe it'll only be that for five minutes and then become something else who knows it's i think it's one of the highest budget shows or, or the highest budget show in like german tv history or something along those lines or whatever or they were got something it was something where they got this ton of money to, to help make this movie uh series or something very expensive and they did it all in one big giant you know space age set which is kind of amazing which would take another hour to try to describe it's like it, it basically, if you think uh, green screen and CGI is something, basically, I think practically everything you see in this series are people on a soundstage and this wraparound screen all around them. And I did watch, like I said, I, I did watch that making of thing and they kind of really got into that. And I was like, going, wow, uh, James Cameron was going, ah, I came up with that in the 80s. Go away. Anyway. But it's it's like it's like a holodeck almost. It's it's, it's exactly like a holodeck, except it doesn't have the weird unnecessary crisscross pattern, which never made any sense to me. Anyway, right. stands out here. I can't see shit. All right, so let us move on. All well, this eighteen ninety nine and space age era. Let's move on to another era. I don't know. Let's go maybe thirty years ago. So let's pour some tea and chat a little bit about the crown. And when I mean the crown, I mean the crown season five. Now, it was November 9th that we were delivered the fifth season from Peter Morgan, who just loves conceiving stories based around leaders from the Queen to the King of Scotland to even Frost Nixon. Now, I did mention from the 90s, because this season essentially covers the early 90s right up to mid-1997, because they do cover Tony Blair winning the election as Prime Minister, and that happened in May of 1997. By the way, I'm going to cut into my own notes here. Um, if there's a show that I do the most research for, um, not as much this time as other, uh, as, as when I covered all the other seasons with Kimber, Kimber, I'm sorry I didn't ask you to do this, but you know, I, you know, didn't think of it. Um, <laughs> it's the crown because you're looking stuff up just to know stuff. And then you're looking up stuff to see, wait, did that actually happen? It's, it's, you know, it, it's, it, it, of, of all the shows in the last several years that I do that with, I think I do it with the crown more than anything else. Anyway. Um, also, that means if we're leaving, we, we're pretty much leaving off, you know, mid-year of 97, which pr- takes us to, we're within three months and change away from, well, you know what. Now, let me start off this conversation by saying I've said time and time and time again, there is no shame or negativity meant when I, or when I, at least when I refer to something as being like a soap opera. Because I have said repeatedly, you can apply that term to any um, serialized show that focuses basically on characters and relationships to each other. I don't care if it's Downton Abbey or Oz. They're soap operas. Some may happen to hide it better than others. The Sopranos is an excellent example of that. But it's really baked into the vast majority of the things that we've watched over the years that were not specifically very plot-centric series. I mean, Breaking Bad, not so much. But Mad Men? Absolutely. And there's no denying that is what The Crown has been from the get-go. It's very well written. 
generally well performed. Some actors better than others, but it, at, at I don't care if it's season one or season five. Whatever, whatever your feelings are about the series, it is a soap opera. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just it, it's just acknowledge it and move on. The problem, the initial problem I have with the series this season, it's not that I didn't enjoy. Well, I don't. You know what? I don't know if I enjoyed one. I have to. I have to. I have to you know what? Maybe by, maybe after you speak a little bit later, I'll, I'll think. I'll, I'll I'll come to a decision whether I enjoyed it or not. But I'll say the problem has been what I call the diminishing returns of what the focal characters were. And once you get to this season, when we're sliding into the Charles and Die stories, they're stories that many of us, at the very least, we are well aware of, if not well versed in. So at this point, it starts to lack surprise, and even to a certain extent, it lacks interest. The Queen and Philip have become more supporting than main characters for most of the season. And I get that. It's to be expected. But it does continue the trend of just less intriguing people for us to follow from season to season. Again, the I use the phrase baked in. It's kind of baked into the show as well. It was bound to happen. The Princess Margaret of Season 5 is never going to be as interesting as the Margaret from the first two seasons. You know, that was played by um, um, Vanessa Kirby, I think it was. And she's not going to... And, and because, you know, just based on the age of the character and, and, and the lack of, you know, real real stories there, she's not going to be as much fun as the one from Seasons 3 and 4, you know, when, when Helen Bonham Carter had a, at least had a couple of nice, you know, cool episodes she could sink her teeth into. And while each queen that we've seen has been painstakingly brought to life, you're dealing with a role that is based all around restraint. It's about the suppression of emotions, and although it feels like after so many decades, most of the emotional channels in Queen Elizabeth have long been cauterized and burned away, but as you get to her as an older woman and what and where the story's focus goes, there's simply less for her to do from season to season. Even at Buckingham Palace, all the servants and assistants and employees who all seem to have much bigger roles in the earlier seasons, they are practically non-existent now. So I, I think you have all these issues with the series that, that just start to work against it being as remotely as, I'll, I'll go back to the word enjoyable, even if even if there are people who really like the series right now, and I'm not saying I don't like it, but you can't tell me it's as enjoyable to watch as some of the earlier seasons were. I just, I, I just, I don't feel that it is. I, I, I wanted it to be, but I, right after the first episode, other than first episode or two of this season, other than being like, wow, McNulty is so different now. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I I realized, oh, I don't think this is going to be as much fun to watch. And I'll, I'll one more confession for the podcast, probably more coming. I'll admit, I, I, I found myself wondering, hey, I wonder if we're going to, are they going to kill her this season or is it going to be next season? I, 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 I hated the fact that I thought that because that's kind of a, you know, I'll, I'll curse. Now. It's kind of a shitty thought to have. You shouldn't, that shouldn't be, shouldn't be in your head, but it was. Um, and it is, and and speaking of her, it is interesting that um, they kind of flipped it a little bit because uh, Diana is far more sympathetic a character, at least in my estimation, in season four 
than we find her here in season five. And Charles, while I, w- I might not go as far to say that Charles is, we want to embrace Charles necessarily, but he seems more, even more understandable at this point. And we, we, we can, we can, sim- we can at least sympathize more with his plight. It doesn't make all of his actions and words, you know, get, get a pass, but I think he's more understandable now than he had been before. I mean, he's, he's, he's incredibly flawed and he's, and he can even be a fool at times. But, Diana. <sighs> so I, I think I'm, I'm going to put myself on pause here. Uh, I, I, Brian, I, I feel you've probably got some opinions as well. And I just wanted to get that out of, off my chest and out of, out of my system now. Um, I wonder how Kimber feels about the show. Anyway, so <laughs> take it away. I, I think that uh, my feeling about it was – it, I mean, it wasn't a slog to get through. It wasn't like it was bad, but I, I agree with you that when, when we get to things that we have already seen and know something about, um, there's a framework and expectation we have that affects how we receive the story and how we we take it in. And I think the thing that that disappointed me about this season is a lot of the things that that occur obviously are you know recreations dramatizations that that happen in things and i felt like a lot of those moments were to humanize charles um and 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 i think they did a good job i i I think there historically are things that probably in in the record could be pointed out that weren't reported and weren't sensationalized where maybe he did have progressive ideas. Maybe he did think the monarchy should not take as much as it took um, that could have made him more sympathetic. But I do kind of feel like, you know, Charles and the royal family have always been very private. Um and Diana was more public. I kind of felt like the the writers, in an attempt to balance that out, told a balanced story. The problem is that that is only an error to the benefit of Charles and not to Diana, because we pretty much know the public story of Diana. Charles never was that public. Um, so I, I think it's one of those things, and I'm not trying to get political here, but you know, there is sometimes an attempt to always tell both sides of a story and sometimes both sides of a story aren't equal, aren't the same. And I thought there really was a scorekeeping aspect to making sure he wasn't too unsympathetic in this season. Um, and the more I got into it, uh, nothing against the acting of Dominic West. He's a great actor. I just don't think he's ugly enough to be Charles. Uh, And, and, you know, maybe, uh, and that's not coming from Brad Pitt. Um, The older he gets that, you know, I mean, and and I think they even took liberties and and don't get me wrong, the way the press in England is uh, towards those relationships and things, they took painstaking lengths to sympathize him and Camilla. Um, and I think I think they went out of their way to sort of balance season four's sympathy for Diana with season five sympathy for Charles. Now, all that being said, I guess my biggest 
my biggest complaint about this season is in in the past there's always been an episode that sort of made me feel like hey here's this event that happened that I didn't know about that I went and looked up and like you said did research I I think of the coal slurry you know that that destroyed the town killed the kids this season I guess I I didn't feel that I I did think. I did think I had a really uh, strange reaction that that by the end of the season, I didn't think I would feel sympathy for the queen wanting to save that yacht. But somehow, like what that yacht represented to her um, and her plea, you know, to Mr. Major uh, and then Mr. Blair to try to save that, I, I thought was interesting. And I and I think. The pro- probably the most beautiful thing about this show is to me showing how all of the the prime ministers come to meet her, and over time, their relationships become very interesting to me, um, and how even if they don't agree, that there's they all seem to have a begrudging respect for her, um, and. You know, it's interesting to think, too, that that this came out right on the heels of her dying. Um, You know, I mean, that obviously wasn't planned. This had been done for some time. But I think watching it had a poignancy, uh, maybe consciously and subconsciously, that it wouldn't have had had that happened, too, because you're watching her and she's ruining what's happening and you sort of see the old vestiges of the monarchy slipping away. You see her, her trying to figure out her relationship with Philip, um, which you and I both want more Jonathan Price and more Imelda Staunton. But I, I thought, I thought this was a good season. I didn't think it was a great season. Um, And to be honest with you, the, the Diana stuff, I'm not that, I'm not that interested in rehashing it, I guess. Maybe it's too painful. Maybe it's, we know too much, but I got tired of it. Um, and I didn't want, I did, I didn't want to be a voyeur watching conversations between them. Um, I feel like we know what happened. He loved somebody else. They should have never been married. And I thought the depth they went into that was maybe a little much for me. Um, so I, I will say I, I really enjoyed Jonathan Price. <laughs> I really enjoyed Imelda Staunton. I really enjoyed the, the relationship with the prime minister um, and learning about sort of the political winds blowing. The Charles and Diana stuff, there was some good stuff. I, I just I became tired of it. And so I would say this season was good, not great. Um. I want to address some of some of the things he said, just you know, because I think it makes for an interesting listen. Um, I, I, I love that. Um, it's good. if this comes up, if this comes off like I'm pushing back on you. I'm not really. I just you know, doing it for entertainment purposes. Um, so I'll, oh, by the way, earlier um, the previous show we were talking about, you should have said death on the Nile, not murder on the Angel Express. Just saying, go on a boat anyway. I, 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 it was in my head, and I forgot. I didn't want to interrupt you. You were on such a, you were on such a good roll there. I would went. You mean death on a Nile, right? Because that's a better example. <laughs> anyway, because you know it's on a boat. You know. Anyway, back to, back to the show we're supposed to be talking about. Um, 
Okay, uh, I'll, I'll, let me get the silly observation out of the way first uh, <laughs> about Dominic West being clearly being uh, a a better looking dude than Prince Charles. It's like, well, you know, every other person they've had as the prime minister has been better looking than than who they're playing. Gillian Anderson is better looking than Margaret Thatcher by far. Lithgow's kind of better looking than than the gnome that that Winston Churchill was as well. And I don't. And Princess Margaret was all right looking, but she was never as good looking as some of these people have been. Um, I, that so I I thought. And don't get me started on Prince Philip. I mean, um, so I I did that I I didn't think you were being that serious with that. So I didn't. That's not, that's not a real thing. Um. I mostly agree because I think we're on, uh, about the scorecard keeping aspect. What you're talking about, um, I don't think there was any pressure on them or anything. I think I think they just maybe if I think they look back on what they had done and say, like, "Hey, you know, this went a certain way." But I, but here's how I'm going to defend them to a, a slight extent. Um, all the stuff that we've heard that, and especially you know, over over the years with Charles, especially during that time was always done through the real vile gossip lens. And and as a result of that, and that's the way it tended to be presented. And so he was he was presented in a very negative light through the newspapers, you know, because the tabloids in Britain are as you know, especially over the years have gotten bad and the same as here. Um and I thought this is their attempt at, okay, if we just cover it that way, then we're no better than that. We're trying to, obviously we don't know what was said behind closed doors for anything we've seen in all six seasons of the, oh, excuse me, five seasons of the show so far, you know, but we've seen enough of this person to know, like, you know, it's not, and the thing they, I, and here's where I agree with what they did. I think there had to be like, at the end of the day, Charles was not a bad guy. He at the, from the get go as a young man he was in love with someone else he was forced into this and maybe he tried to go along with it at first but at a certain point you know you know I, you feel bad for for Diana because of how young she was when she went into this and she you know and and but at a certain point at a certain point this is what the situation is and it's been that way for when when we pick up with this series for a little over a decade now. So I, I think because of the way that Charles and, and really Camilla have been treated over the last 20, 30 years, whatever, um, and presented in a very unflattering way up until more, maybe recent years, I guess. Um, I think they, 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 maybe they were striving for something of a more balanced approach to just their characters. Now, whether as far as being progressive or not, that's something Google, you know, and look up on what's been written, what's been said, what's whatever. And I, I don't know. I, I didn't. It didn't occur to me to even look that stuff up. I didn't. I never thought Charles was a was a moron. So I figured, and it wouldn't have surprised me. And it does represent. At that point, it's not really about Charles anymore. That's the thing. It's not about Charles. It's about the old guard and the new guard. The same way the whole thing about the the yacht. It's not about a yacht. Yacht is a metaphor. The yacht is representing, I mean, and then you, it, either you want to say it's representing the, the, the institution of the royal family or her actual family and what, what, what it's gone through and how it's, you know, it's, it's falling apart and crumbling or not being taken as serious, all, all the other kind of things. And that's why I think that actually works 
better than we 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 think it should. Because um, at first we'd be like, really, the whole thing's going to be about her worrying about the yacht. And they're like, oh no, it's not about the yacht. It's what the yacht represents, and that's and that's why I agree with you there as well. That's one of the things that I think works surprisingly well. But I've see, I just I'll defend those things, and yet I'm yet. I'm still agreeing with you overall anyway. I still have the same, at the end of the day, I still feel the same way. I still found, I still got tired of it, you know, because even I was thinking, okay, I don't even know if some of the stuff I'm hearing now, am I learning something that's valid and new? Or is it just, you know, something that's been, you know, created to fill in the space here to make this person look a bit more, um, you know, appealing or intelligent or whatever, you know, like I said, I just assume he's not an idiot. I've never, never heard of him being referred to that way, but I, I don't, again, I don't know what was said behind closed doors. And I haven't done the research on it. Um, I, I don't, I'm not someone who's really followed, who followed princess Diana and her life at the time while she was alive and not as much after her death either, but I was aware of some of the things. Um, we, it's about her, her her paranoia and all the things that and a lot of it's very understandable because you you couldn't be a more scrutinized and you know follow person than diana during those years i don't think any of us could ever understand that and it just the way it clearly got to her because there are things with diana where she, you start going oh, and you realize this because she's uh, what's a nice way to put it she's troubled <laughs> You know, so all, like all the stuff she does and the way it's depicted with her and the, uh, the, the doctor from the hospital. I mean, it, 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 there's, there's a little bit of kind of, oh, that's kind of sweet. But it seemed for me, it seems to be drawn out like, oh, she's really screwed up. And it just it, it just ugh. it. I found some of the scenes with her just to, it just made me cringe. And I may, I don't know if that's what they were, I mean, maybe that's what it is, what they were going for at times. I think sometimes it is. Um, the other thing that kind of struck me, um, and it clicked as I was watching when, when we get to the, the phase where she's getting ready for that interview and there's the guy who kind of the reporter, um, who pretty much lied and that, that'll, 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 that'll turn out to be true that, that he, that he did that whole thing. And I kept going, man, that guy looks really familiar to me. And I realized that's the same reporter who did the whole thing with Michael Jackson and Neverland, whatever. And this actor has played that reporter before as well, because he's he's a dead ringer for the guy. I mean, oh yeah, Mar- Martin Brashear. Yeah, they they they've never cast anybody on the series to look as much like the actual person as they do with that guy. Oh, that um, that guy. Oh, yeah, he he is. I mean, it's like it, even his speech pattern. You know, he he killed it. Oh, he's 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 it's 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 creepy how much he because if you, you just got to look at the guy on YouTube, but there'll be there's clips of him and, and a million different things. Like, oh my god, it's it's the same guy. It's him. Um, the I'll, I'll, okay, you and something else you mentioned, which I'm totally agreeing with, that we had these. Usually, every season has that one or two, but usually one like major episode where you want to do the research. And check this out. It's like, wow, did that really happen? Like the, the, the episode with the disaster. It's that small town or like the thing. Like I remember the first season, like when the, the smog that kind of, you know, takes over, you know, London and people are dying in the streets and all that. I was like, Oh my God. Um, and we didn't because there just wasn't an event like that that happened. 
Not again. That goes to well, they, they they can't they can only make up so much. Right. There was only one episode for me that stood out. Like, oh, that's an episode I'm, I'm going to remember more than the others. And again, it's not it's not on the level of those aforementioned episodes, but it's still the one that I if I'm gonna if I'm gonna pick one that that stood out, it's the um it's early in the season it's like third third episode maybe i mean i think i made a i might have made a reference to it earlier or maybe when i was doing my vocal exercise before we started recording um you know mumu um it's the one that pretty much exclusively focuses on muhammad al fayed and i really liked it and i think i know why i liked it i liked it because it was just different than all the others because we just were following a different story and a different character and a different life and it didn't have the sameness as everything else and, and wh- where it ends up going. I was like, okay, this, and that was early enough on. I, I, it gave me hope for the series, for the season again. Cause I was like the third episode. And then it kind of went right back to what it was until he shows up again. <laughs> like, oh, he's to me, he's like the stand, the, the father. He's kind of the standout character of the season for me. He's the, he's the most fun on screen at the very least. Um, the only other thing I'd want to mention is, um, it, it it was it. I want to use the word fun again. I'll say it was nice. It was nice to see Johnny Lee Miller. You know, I you know, we know him from. He's been in a lot of things. I know I watched him for years on Elementary and whatever. And you know, changing the color of his hair, combing it a certain way, the wig, whatever. I was like, all right, he's not that far away from looking like John Major here. All right, all right. he 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 does a fine job. I, like I said, I, I think on this series, you have five seasons of it, right? And you'll have the performances you can point to here and there, like, oh, outstanding, outstanding. Everyone's at least good. There's no one who's ever been bad on this series. But I think there's only the few that have been, to me, are the, you know, the award-worthy ones. It doesn't have to be a specific award, just the award-worthy, you know. And, like, the Prime Ministers has been an interesting role from season to season, whoever the Prime Minister is. And for me, the only one who's really... St- really stood out still go we have to go back to lithgow as churchill i mean the only reason we would even be talking about julian anderson as thatcher is because it's julian anderson she, she's fine there's nothing wrong with it i'm just like oh okay you know she had the unfortunate you know thing of taking a role that a lot of people saw meryl street play in a movie in the last 10 years that so probably didn't help her any uh johnny Lee miller i just like it was different than i've seen him do several things and this was different and I've, and again, now we're getting to the era that we're familiar with. We've seen these people on TV. I remember John Major. I've seen, you know, I, I even went on YouTube. I watched, you know, I watched a little bit of him. It's like, oh, you know, he's kind of John Major. John Major's kind of a bit on the bland side. There's not really that much, <laughs> not much to him, but, you know, he's, he's, he's basically, what if Clark Kent didn't have any powers? <laughs> you know? And I, I kind of enjoy that. I can't believe what's his name didn't show up as, um, Tony Blair, because doesn't he always play Tony? <laughs> what's his name? Um, you know, who I'm talking I know the about. guy you're talking about. Yeah, I can't think of his name. He's in, you know, he's, oh my God. He did, he did the show with David Tennant, uh, the, the Good Omens thing. I think he, he, I think he's in Frost Nixon, actually. Oh, I can't. Believe. He always plays John Major. I can't think what his name is. All of a sudden, he's in Good Omens. The other, the other actor. Yes. Oh my God! What a bad podcaster. All right, you you, you talk. I'm gonna go look him up. Well, well, you look it up, and I and I'll talk and say this. Like, <laughs> I I love John Major this season because I thought he had the most sort of every man appeal of a uh, of a prime minister. 
uh, I, I thought, and even even the sadness of when he lost and they let and they're leaving, you know, the when they were leaving his meeting with the Queen and leaving Downing Street, that um, sort of the the man inside of that job, um, I, I thought he brought sort of a blue collar feel to that where a lot of the previous prime ministers had an extraordinariness about them that he, he, he didn't, he seemed very decent Uh, and he brought a decency and sort of an everyman quality to it. And his final interaction with the queen, I thought was perhaps maybe, maybe the most, uh, touching in the way that there seemed to be about as much general affection as she could express uh, for him at that point in, a, in at that point in her world where she was having trouble expressing affection with almost everyone in her life. And that that was perhaps the most positive relationship with a man she was having at that moment. Um, <laughs> And and I, I thought that was I thought that was one of the better points of the season was their relationship. And I'll be honest, when he left and went, I was sad to see him go. I I, I don't disagree. I I, I I think you hit upon it. it. Of the prime ministers that we've seen, and I know I'm going to forget at least one of them. Um, because you you have you have you have ones who you have you have the fighters you have the bureaucrats you have you know the ones who came from this you know this type of class or this type of whatever um his i think his hallmark was just seeming at least the way his character is presented here i should say because again maybe we make things a little bit nicer for the viewing audience because i i believe there's a lot of people who may be not the biggest fan of John Major over, over 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 the sea over there. Um, it's decency. There's a certain just level of just down to earth decency about him. At least that's the character. That's where we have to separate actual history from who, because what everyone wants to say about that. But in the series I'm watching, that's how how he registered to me, and I think right. that was probably the best sort of um, mirror to hold up to Queen Elizabeth at that point. Because of where where she where she was in her life at this point, um, yeah, I don't know if I I, I think really, I, I think that's really all I have to say about the series. I mean, look, we know there's only one more season. I'm guessing now after what's happened, we're, I, I I'm going to guess we're going to end with Charles, you know, taking about that'll be interesting uh, the, the the throne or whatever. Um, I'm going to watch it. You know, I'm curious how they're going to depict, you know, Diana's death. I'm just, I wonder if it'll be upset, it'll be upsetting or not. You know, I, I remember when it happened because I think I was overseas when it happened. So I had, if I'm not mistaken, did I, had I left already? So I went to, because I know it happened on August 31st. I just can't remember if it was right when I had just gone to Iceland for, for two and a half weeks or I left right after that. Also, and, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong about this, so don't hold my feet to the fire. I think Mother Teresa dies not too long before or after Diana as well. So you have like these two icons who die you know, near each other. I should have looked that up beforehand, but you know, it's not like she's a, she she hasn't shown up on the series anyway. So who cares? Anyway, I remember her funeral 
I was in Pittsburgh with a friend and uh, we got up uh, that morning to, we were going to go, I think to a football game or something. And um, it was a friend that, that I had met uh, when I just started a job and we went to visit his hometown and uh, went to his house and I remember we got up and we were going to go run around Pittsburgh and uh, his mom, you know, had the TV on because it was in the morning, you know, and uh, we got up that morning and there was Princess Diana's funeral and we sat on the couch for a while and finally we we're like, well, I guess we're going to get going. And his mom was like, don't you want to stay and watch the funeral? And uh, and uh, it it it's big enough that I remember it happening. You know, it was a cultural worldwide event. And, uh, I'd be curious. And this is the last thing I would say about the the show. And I want to ask you a question. You know, we're so close to her death and we did tell the sort of the Dodie Fiad story, um, up until they meet, do they skip past her death and start the next season? Because, the one complaint I also had about this season is we've shown 10 years of marriage. I don't think we got enough of the kids. Um, we could have had just a little more of the boys of, of, uh, you know, William and Harry. And I think that I wonder if we skip past the death and move to focusing on the queen and the boys that, that would I almost would prefer that. I don't know that I want to relive that. Uh, I don't know. But, but I, I don't know. It hadn't occurred to me until you just said it that they would skip over it. I mean, they could. That might be a way to avoid what would probably be upsetting for a lot of people. Um, wow, I had not... It's so obvious and I hadn't thought of that. I, the more I... Th- just thinking about it in the, in the moment right now for the first time ever... Um, I could see them skipping over it. They could feel just the seeing her, the, the actual quote unquote real meeting of her and Dodie at the end there. And those of us who know enough about Diana, like know that, well, that was the person she was with, you know, had, had started to be with at that time. And then, you know, that's why they were all following her around and blah, blah, blah. You know, I can't, now that you've said it, I kind of, hmm. I kind of think they might skip it. They might just, they, they might pick up, they might pick up right after it. Right. Exactly. I can see them picking up like the week of, by the way, um, mother Teresa died on September 5th. So she died like five, you know, and Diana August 31st. So I was right. Probably two of the biggest icons of, you know, whatever. And that rep, you know, died with, I was in Iceland for Teresa's death. And I remember going, Really? Diana, now Teresa? I, what, what is going on in the world? It's crazy. Um, and the actor whose name I couldn't think of earlier, I am ashamed. Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Yes. Shame. Yes. Shame. 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 I'm ashamed. Ashamed of myself. All right. So I say we closed a book on The Crown, and now we've closed a book on three of these series. And we didn't do quite that bad time-wise, so let me start to wrap up. 
As you all know, you can already find us on most podcast platforms or simply go to stvdpodcast.podbean.com where you can find all 365 of our episodes. You can certainly just find us on Facebook as the Serious TV Drama Podcast, but you can also find us on Instagram, though I honestly, I seem to forget to post things there. I don't think I've posted the last few podcasts there. Um, we're Serious TV Drama as one word there. Hey, if any of you are still on Twitter... <laughs> We are still there as at STVD podcast as STVD as, of course, serious TV drama. Um, by the way, more importantly for me, you can also find my new, in quotation marks, podcasting venture in all of those aforementioned places. That's Scott Forgot the 80s. That's Scott with one T, 80s with no unnecessary apostrophe. You start typing that into Facebook, Twitter, the Podbean site, wherever you're going to find me. You'll find it there. And unlike this podcast, because we're pretty much good when it comes to ratings and reviews. You know, we're fine. Because now if we ever get one, it's a bad one. So <laughs> I would, I'd love it if folks went on the Apple podcast and rated and reviewed the Scott Forgot the 80s podcast there. Unless you turns out you don't like it, but then, then, then don't do that. Our next podcast. Well, we're not going to make you wait another two months. Um, I'm pretty sure the next one's going to be... I think it's probably the most fun one we do all year, or, or, or almost, depending what shows we're talking about during the course of a year. And of course, I'm talking about the best of the past year podcast. In, in, in this case, it would be the best of 2022, where a few of us will be sharing our top, I don't know, top 10, top 20, top 43, I don't know, some number. I would love to tell you all that we're going to get that out before the end of the year. I would love to say that. I suspect that won't happen because it almost never happens and it's probably going to get pushed into the new year. It's going to depend on time and people's schedules and maybe I'll have yet another health emergency. Who knows? We shall see. It'll either come at the very end of the year or very, or the very beginning of the following year. And with that, uh, Brian, I want to wish you and the listeners and everybody else a happy Christmas, a delightful Hanukkah to everybody out there all the other holidays, we don't need to, your Kwanzas, your Festivuses, whatever. And if, in fact, we don't get that one done or get her doing until 2023, I'll wish everybody a preemptive Happy New Year here as well. Um, I'll let you have some parting words as well, Ryan. I'll join that, Scott. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to the listeners. And whatever holiday or faith you celebrate, may you find joy uh, and peace and have a great end of 2022 we'll see you to talk about the shows we loved uh in the very near future and scott stay well because we old dudes have to stick together <laughs> yeah something, something me and santa got in common you know there's that and the, that that whole once a year uh, never mind i'm not gonna make that <laughs> joke now you all you all figured out where i was going with that one i made it on someone's <laughs> facebook page earlier totally inappropriate they were talking about their kids anyway with that I will say merry everything to all, and to all, a good night. Mm -hmm.